Hello, crime historians, and welcome back to another episode of a crime story podcast. Today is episode 15, titled Russia's Lost Krasnoyarsk Boys. I am your host, Kaylin Lois, and I am originally from the United States, but I moved to France in December 2018. And when I moved here, I just started hearing of all these crazy cases, not only local, but European cases. And I was really intrigued as to why I never heard them before. It's because it's not covered in American media. So I created a crime story podcast to tell you all about it. So without further ado, let's just hop in to today's story. So today's case comes in by one of the craziest cases I've covered so far. This case remains relatively unknown outside of Russia, and in fact, I only found three English sources about this case. The rest of my sources were in Russian, so I hope Google Translate did me good for this story. I originally encountered this case in a post on Reddit, and since then, I really just can't stop thinking about it. I mean, I think everyone has those cases that they just feel like drawn to for some reason, and this case is just one of mine. Now, not much public information exists about this case, and the police have remained really tight-lipped about the details. But too many unanswered questions remain, and therefore this story needs to be brought into the light. Five family need answers, and the story revolves around the lost Krasnoyarsk boys. This is their story. As always, let's begin with the discussion on the legal system in the country that we are covering, and today is Russia. The 1993 constitution defines the laws of the Russian Federation that came into effect after the fall of the USSR or the Soviet Union. Now, Russia falls under the civil law system, but precedents and cases do exist. Precedents are established by higher courts and then are followed by lower courts as a general rule to have consistency with relevant codes. The system of government notes as a semi-presidential republic and the president of the Russian Federation today, Vladimir Putin, has the highest executive authority and is head of state. He appoints with support of the parliamentary majority, the prime minister and its government with the collegial executive body. Well, I guess that's enough legal talk. I don't think people like law as much as I do. So let's just hop into today's crime story. This crime story is nothing like I've really covered before because officially we don't even know if a crime took place. Technically, this case is classified as an unexplained death, but the details of this case, however, make me think that like something fishy went on and that there is definitely a foul play involved. Five young and healthy young boys do not just wind up dead together of natural causes. The story takes place in Krasnoyarsk, Russia, a South Central Siberian city in an area just kind of north of Mongolia. And interesting fact, the capital of Mongolia is the coldest capital on earth. So this is north of that capital, just think how freezing it is. Krasnoyarsk lies on the Yenisei River 
River and the Trans-Siberian Railroad runs through the town. And that's always been like a dream trip of mine to take the railroad just all throughout Russia. In 2013, over 1 million people lived in the city, but that does not include the surrounding suburban population. Known for its aluminum production and stunning views, the weather remains a huge negative in Kwasnoyarsk. With the story taking place in Siberia, my curiosity looked up the weather, and the recorded low in the city is a negative 52 degrees Celsius, which is negative 63 degrees Fahrenheit. The average temperatures year-round trend from negative 15.5 degrees to 13.4 degrees Celsius or negative 4 degrees to 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which to me sounds like the perfect place to beat out my native Texas summer heat, but I don't know if I would want to ever live in a place that cold. These Siberians are made of steel. On April 16th, 2005, a woman named Oksana Koshunov greeted her 11-year-old son Maxim home after his day at school. Maxim quickly rushed out of the house to go play with his friend Sasha, who lived in the same apartment building. Oksana stated that Maxim went to Sasha's place around 4 to 4.30 p.m. When Maxim did not return home for dinner, Oksana started to panic and she went out looking for her son in the apartment courtyard without success. At the same time Oksana went to the courtyard to look for her son, Sasha's parents were in that same courtyard looking for Sasha, as well as the parents of three other young boys. Maxim Tamanahov, Alexander, nicknamed Sasha, Lavrenov, Safir, Alif Galesh, Mohamed Gules Gosnov, and Dmitry Makronov, all aged 9 to 12 years old, were missing. Now, all five of these boys lived in the same apartment complex, and they were known to often play with each other. The apartment complex sits next to an abandoned, once top secret, Soviet-era chemical plant, as well as a heating plant and some other factories. According to an article in the LA Times, the Stalin-era complex originally served as housing for a Siberian labor camp, and by 2005, apartment complex could best be described as just run down, chilly, decrepit, and badly lit. None of the families had the financial resources to fund a search, as these were working class families who toiled in the local factories. Now, before continuing the crime story, I want to provide some background for missing children in Russia to help provide context to this story. Every year, about 50,000 Russian children go missing, and less than 10% of these cases are actually reported to authorities. Mainly charities and NGOs do the footwork as to finding these children as opposed to the actual police forces. My research found that nearly 80% of these children run away from home under their own volition. Most end up making their way to Moscow where they live in train stations and abandoned buildings. Sadly, many of these children end up turning to sex work to make money in order to survive. Uh, the children often run away due to parental neglect and even if by some way they have returned home after running away, they will run away again. 
Not only do children run away every year, but nearly 100,000 people vanish in Russia every year. And 25% of these people are never heard from again. It's honestly a huge problem. Now, back to our crime story. People saw the boys for the last time walking together in the courtyard on Glinka Street in front of House 16. Later that night, the parents alerted the police. Now, the police did not take the case seriously and classified the boy as runaways and put them on a federal wanted list. The parents and those who knew the boys doubted that they had run away. Four of the boys had no reason to run away. They had good home lives. Now, while the fifth boy had a poor home life and had once attempted to run away before, the public rallied around the families and this caused the police to take the case more seriously. Two weeks after the disappearance on April 21st, authorities changed the case to falling under Article 105 of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation also known as a murder investigation. This caused the case to become massive in scope as all units in the regional police, some 5,000 officers, took part in search for the five boys. Tactics included using police helicopters, searching abandoned construction sites, forests, landfills, and basically every other place that they could think of that the boys could be. The head of the Krasnoyarsk police, Alexander Govoroy, took charge of the searches, promising the parents to look for the boys until he found them. Today, Alexander serves as the first deputy minister of the Interior Ministry in Russia. During these early days, search teams found six other bodies, including a newborn child and two people who had showed signs of a violent death. Authorities also discovered a six-month-year-old child lying in a sewage pipe near a factory, nearly starved but alive. This suggests to me that law and order did not occupy as a top priority in Krasnoyarsk. On May 8th, the boys were found only 300 meters from their apartment building, encased in a concrete sewage well. All five were dead. The police never publicly confirmed who found the bodies, but it is most believed that metal collectors interested in a piece of metal covering the hole did. The discovery, unfortunately, seems too predictable, but this case takes on a twist that makes this case just absolutely mind-boggling. <laughs> On May 5th, just three days prior to the discovery, Sasha's father had searched the exact spot where the bodies were found. He looked down the hole but found it to be empty. Authorities found the bodies badly burned and in fact, just a little more than blackened bones and fragments of bones. Burning bones requires temperatures of between 1100 to 1500 degrees Celsius. A 300 milliliter spray can was found in the well along with the boys. Now, debate exists about the state of the boys' remains. What I just shared it comes from official police accounts, but different accounts soon emerged. 
Allegedly, a local drunk helped police carry out the bodies from the sewer, and he claims that the bodies showed signs of strangulation around their necks and did not appear to be burned at all. If only found as bone fragments, the story would not be true. Authorities could not determine the cause of death for the five boys except for one, Dimitri, who died of carbon monoxide poisoning, perhaps as a result of being burned alive. A person who dies as a result of being burned alive, they have a certain position that kind of looks like a boxer's stance. Officials never released if they found the boys in this stance, but with official statements stating that they only found fragments of their bones, it seems unlikely. What we do know, however, is that it took authorities some time to positively identify the boys. Among items found that led the police to the preliminary identification beyond finding five bodies include an apartment key of one of the boys and a gold necklace of another. DNA testing confirmed the identity of only four of the boys, but only Ash existed from the fifth boy, so they couldn't positively identify him. One Russian source I read stated that all five boys were completely bloodless when found, but an English source states that only three bodies have been trained of blood before being set on fire. It also states that the fourth body had believed to be partially drained of blood and that only one body had a specific type of fungus present on it. Authorities determined that the fungus dated from April 17th to the 19th, and this suggests that the boys died within three to five days of disappearing. After finding the bodies, authorities said nothing else about the case except that it looked like an accident. Police back up this theory by stating that the boys climbed down the well themselves and accidentally touched something that set off a firestorm of methane gas and old fuel oil. Perhaps the boys sniffed the aerosol fumes or just lit like a small bonfire and that set off the 300 milliliter spray can authorities found provides evidence to this theory. I have serious problems and serious doubts with this line of reasoning. This theory imagines that five boys climbing down into a well, crowding together in a space no larger than five feet in diameter. Most problematic, could a fire have originated in this manner generate the heat necessary to essentially cremate all five bodies? The police state that the murder theory poses issues as well. How could five strong, lively boys be rounded up in broad daylight with no one noticing? If the criminal was someone known to the boys, it could easily explain how the boys became isolated without notice. For me, enough evidence exists to suggest that a crime took place. Varying sources state that no evidence exists that a fire occurred in the sewer, and this seems simple enough to figure out whether the boys burned to death in the sewer or not. In addition, how could the boys have removed the top, gone down the well, and then closed the top? The boys closing the top defies logic, and without a closed top, it becomes even less likely 
that a fire could reach the heat necessary to burn the boys beyond recognition. Also making the theory about it being an unfortunate accident involves a large amount of trash existing above the sewer well. So there was the sewer, then the metal top, and then trash above that metal top. It just seems too obvious to me that one eyewitness account places a foreign-made black car with no license plates near the apartment building on the day of the boy's disappearance. The person making this claim later recanted their statement, and some strange speculation about a ritualistic killing exists based on the drained blood from the scene. The boy's families are not the biggest fans of the police. Sasha's mother stated that much of the evidence may have disappeared in the time it took police to launch the investigation. To quote, they didn't take it seriously. They were confident that our children had simply run away for a better place to play and that they would come back soon she said. Some theories I have read about the case states that a group of pedophiles kidnapped the boys, that they had their way with them, and then killed him and placed him in the sewer well between May 5th to May 8th. Another story states that someone forced the boys down the sewer well, and then the boys could not escape due to the metal top and the trash being placed on their only escape route. Then the boys lit a fire in order to keep warm or that they were set on fire and died of carbon monoxide poisoning, then burned while they were all unconscious or dead. But this happened on April 16th. Some evidence should exist near the sewer that there was a fire and at least enough that Sasha's father would have noticed when he searched the area on May 5th and he would have found the boys in the sewer. Another theory states that a serial killer committed the crime. In fact, a week before the boys' disappearance, the charred bodies of two 13-year-old girls were found in Volograd, some 4,000 kilometers away. No real evidence connects these two cases and the Volograd case was resolved with the arrest of three men. A minor theory suggests that school bullies could have killed the boys, but no evidence exists to this theory, and I find it really hard to believe that young kids would stump police for this long. I really don't have a theory on this case. I, I am completely stumped. In the Reddit thread about this case, many believe that it was an accident. I do not agree with this theory. The bodies were placed in a sewer well between May 5th to May 8th, and how could the children have closed the top of the well? It was 10 feet high. I mean, even if the boys like stood on top of each other's shoulders, the metal top was not light. Like it would have been very heavy for a 9 to 12 year old boy to be able to lift on their own. And then why would they even close the top? There's just no logic in that. The police investigated the case until December 18th, 2007 and closed the case due to no resolution. So this is different from America where a case just remains cold, but in Russia they're like, yeah, there's no evidence, let's just close it. No suspects have been identified in the case of Maxim, Sasha, Safir, Galesh, and Dmitry. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this case. 
Do you think it was an accident or do you think foul play was involved? You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod where I will be posting images from today's story. You can comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or a crime story pod on Twitter. My website, a crimestorypodcast.com. You can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab. You can even comment and see additional photos on a crime story podcast on YouTube. And I have started a TikTok under the name a crime story podcast. So make sure to go check that out. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find it. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. I will see you next time on October 7th, where I will be covering a case from Peru. You won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted, created, and written by me, Kaylin Lewis. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. Did you see the new logo? I am in love with it. It was created by Sabrina Smith, and you can find more of her work at her Instagram handle, at Sabrina's Graphics. Theme music is by Ross Budgen, and additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to episode 15 of A Crime Story, and remember to stay safe at home and abroad. Thank you.